1: from the voice gate for September 8th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at @openvoicegate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Case is on assignment this week. And given everything happening in the wrestling world, my schedule, Case's schedule, just everything, this is going to be a short one this week. Just going to talk about the September 8th Cork and Hall show that happened earlier today. One of the last major stops on the road to Dangerous Gate 2021 and just off the top now the overall picture for where Dragon Gate is and where they will be going to in their third of five big five shows of the year has mostly come into place. We know three out of the four title matches. Of course, we don't know if there will be a Brave Gate title match because they're the Brave Gate still currently vacated and will be decided this weekend in Osaka between SB Kento and Keisuke Okuda. But coming out of this show, we already knew the Triangle Gate match with Masquerade versus R.E.D. But now we have the other two title matches already signed and it took us a long time to get here. But Kota Minora will be challenging Yamato for Yamato's first defense of the Open the Dream Gate title at Dangerous Gate really kind of a necessary and convoluted way to get there so just big picture thoughts they really based the show around the elevation of Kota Minunora which is something that's already been happening so it's not as abrupt as the Big Shimizu Takahira Yamamura elevation that happened in 2017 not as abrupt as other times where like Millennials suddenly just bolstering their unit with Kotoka and Elendamen. This is something that really started since uh, Dead or Alive and continued throughout the summer. So I am glad that this is happening. I mean, Case and I have been calling for it because it's just been so patently obvious This that Kotomen and Nora has been positioned for big things since they returned from isolation last year coming he came out of the gates in july of 2020 like a star and has just every chance every opportunity he has claimed won the twin gate titles with jason lee was the finalist in this year's a uh, king of gate and he comes out of cork and hall holding the dream key and it couldn't be that simple so before going into the show on a house show in yakoska he made, I'm not Yokosuka, sorry, Yokohama. And Yokohama, he made the plea to be added into the number one contendership match earlier this year, or earlier tonight. And uh, GM Rio Saito said, no, you should have came out beforehand. You should have came out when everyone was making those challenges. And just said, the card's made, the poster's made, you're not getting in with this. And it took until the events of the show today where... Jason Lee and Kota Minora defeated the team of Yamato and Kakatora with a direct pinfall for Kota Minora on Yamato that gave the the impetus to get us to this match. So the main event of the show was a four-way for the Dream Key and the shot at Yamato. Just going through the show now, I think I like the show as a whole more than the August Corkin the august corican yeah it had a four-way six-man tag but it did not really it had some really big valleys there and left of a real frustrating taste in our mouth with the the main event that was made here but it was something that it was a very easy watch i mean they're still under a uh, curfew to my belief in tokyo so they had to get in and out relatively quickly all the matches that needed time got time there was not a match under 10 minutes on the main show the match zero only went five minutes and there really wasn't a whole lot of waste on this show there was nothing that was like an outright comedy match unless really i mean we did get a punch somonaga teaming with ut and funky jackie kamei against ultimo that kind of was the jokey portion of the show, but, I mean, no real big highs on this show. I would think that, at least for me, my personal match of the night was Jason Lee and Kota Minora versus Yamato and Kakatora. But everything else was within expectations. Uh, Just starting from match zero, the match zero was Takashi Yoshida and Ho-Ho Loon defeating Yosuke San Maria and Problem Dragon. Takashi Yoshida penned Maria with the champion carnival and this was mostly fine they kept it moving and the big thing that jay and ho and Ho-Ho played up was the fact that this could be a new tag team a roll up or shut up and they had some good chemistry yoshida and loon work well together i don't expect much to really come out of this but it was a perfectly fine little match zero and then before the main show we had another thing with SpongeGuy with the all lowercase Dragon Gate Amazon show as Kano from Pro Wrestling Noah showed up, got into it with Yamato and of course this is building up the Amazon Prime Japan show Dragon Gate all in lowercase that is directly funded by the Leck Corporation aka the Sponge Guy and they did not air this on stream because this is on Amazon Prime and Gayora, as Jay mentioned on Twitter, is a direct competitor of this. So why would they put that on screen, especially if it's Kano versus when they had Masahiro Chono come out before? I mean, Chono is a big enough star. You kind of just let him do what he wants. So they kept that off stream. That is something that, just to reiterate, this uh, this Amazon uh, Japan Dragon Gate Show completely outside of Dragon Gate's continuity, s- completely booked around the whims of the Sponge Guy, the president of the Luck Corporation, and is something that Dragon Gate has made very, very clear that Dragon Gate, all in lowercase, is this Amazon show, not a part of the continuity whatsoever. Like Shinya Aoki is a part of. Under uh, of lowercase dragon gate as a member of mochizuki dojo a unit that has not existed in two years so just kind of a thing to pop the crowd there and to spread awareness of the of amazon prime show and that led us into the opener it was an unaffiliated trios match with the team of Nuruki doi and high ends dragon kid and kesuke akuda versus BB Hulk, Kaido Shida and Heo from R.E.D. The fall was Dragon Kid getting the Bible on Hio in 10 minutes and 13 seconds. And this was pretty good. This was a little bit more different than typical R.E.D. matches, where it really kind of, at least the way I watched the match, it came off like that R.E.D. was firmly in control for most parts of this match, but... The babyface team was able to get spurts in, but that made sense because you have two members of a unit and then a big unaffiliated guy. And a lot of this was kind of hitting the big notes one would expect. We had an Okuda and a face off. A lot of work on Dragon Kid and then Hio doing big brain things. And just was a solid, fun little opener. No resolution whatsoever from Naruki Doi. Who knows when we're going to figure out when he's landing, when this unit shift will finally reach its final stage. But it was fun, and it it was something where, like, as I've mentioned before with Gaze, Hio really has, uh, he's really gotten a command of his character and works towards the big brain character, and it's something that it's working, and this is something that this guy can work with with this with his fan base for the remainder of his career, basically. I mean, Ginky horaguchi they've been making ball jokes about him for 20 years. Y- you can make something about Hyo being the smartest man in all of pro wrestling last forever in front of a Dragon Gate audience. The second match, as I mentioned before, Masquerade versus High End, Kota Minora and Jason Lee defeating Yamato and Kagatora when Kota Minora countered a frankensteiner of the almighty into a sunset flip and this really was just Kota minora lobbing bombs with yamato is really a whole lot of fun here and then we had like the nice like that was the main course of this match and then we had the nice uh, side dishes your steamed broccoli your starches was a motivated Kakatora versus Jason Lee, And Jason worked a whole lot of this match, which makes sense considering what happened in the post-match and the fact that Kota Minora would end up having two matches that night. And this was really great. Uh, I think Kakatora and Yamato, they've teamed together so much and you always kind of push it to the back of your head because you don't really think a lot about Kakatora as like a great tag team partner for Yamato, but... He really is. They they did like the really cool bat of chemistry of the two of them, some teamwork that just was something that is only displayed when you have such a familiarity with your partner. And I mean, given that Yamato's been around since 06, Kagatora came in for good in 2009, they've been working together for like the last 12 years. So it was nice to see that. And of course, Koda Menonora and Jason Lee, awesome tag team, just tremendous stuff here. This was. My match of the night, I went three and three quarters on it. And in the post-match, we had Kota Menorah continuing his lobbying to get the the chance in the main event. That brought out uh, GM Rio Saito. And that also brought out the three other participants in the match. No one wanted any of Kota Menorah, which was kind of the thing that... Uh, Kai, Benkei, and Mochizuki all agreed on was like, hey, we don't want any of this guy here. What are we doing here? Like, we're in this match. This kid, he can't just say now I won in this match. He had his chance here. And Ryo Saito was like, yes, no, no. We're not doing this. He had his chance. He had his chance. Not a great week in Rio Saito's GM tenure. Case is not here this week, but I would have to ask him if he approves of Ryo Saito's general managership and Maybe the uh, Winds of Change, which Jay constantly brought up on commentary this week, are afoot with GM Saito. But eventually Yamato was like, all right, I want this kid. Let's listen to the crowd. And the crowd, of course, because it's Yamato and because Kota Minora is popular, went, yeah, no, we want the kid in this match. So that made the Open the Dream Gate number one contendership a four-way match in the main event. Match three was Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Yazushi Kanda versus UT, Funky Jackie kamei and Punch Tomonaga. Don, Fu- Don Fuji got the one with a nice German suplex in 11 minutes of five seconds. And really, this was a somewhat comedy match with Punch Tomonaga involved, but then also you had young vibes trying to take it to the oldest people on the roster. And that was a lot of fun i mean don fuji with funky jackie kamei there's not a whole lot there for me not to like and ut getting to uh, do some grappling and being able to show off some holds there was a really funny moment i forget who was in the hold but in the last few minutes of the match where ut had someone in the Yave his submission hold and Ultimo did not clear the ring and just stood there and just realized he kind of he was just standing there so he started shouting at the at his partner to get out of the hold get out of the hold and then after they got a hold Ultimo just still kind of just stood there just cracked me up. I thought that it was pretty amusing. The Punchmanaga uh character traits and stuff weren't overwhelming. There was a think uh, that there was a point where he kept on going for his headbutt and he he attempted like five headbutts and each time someone either rolled out of the way sat up put their legs up and it's just very clear that no one was going to get any chance to eat a headbutt from punch tomonaga so this was a you know and even for like a comedy match for this like this was two and three quarters but i mean a lot of that is from the natural vibes team deciding to take it to the old men there match four was the strong machine army versus natural vibes before the match a big thing and this is something that we've talked about before is with kz out with his ankle issues with the uh, he terribly broke his ankle in 2010 it was really gnarly and he had to get plates put in I, it was something that happened in the uh, lead up to team doy he was back by the time that doy darts Were a thing, and of course we talked about this on the Doi section, like Team Doidarts and Doi, like that was kind of the first real big push that KZ had in his career. Before that, the biggest thing he really did was turn on uh, World One and have a feud with uh, with Naoki Tanizaki. So something that I have no idea what kind of time frame we are talking about for KZ returning. I'm not certain if it's not if they aren't replacing the plate. If they're replacing the plate, that's gonna be a while. Or if they're just having to drain and hope the infection clears up. But since he's gone, that means that someone else has to do the mic work for party anthem and natural vibes coming out. And I have to say this. UT has done it twice and I've seen Kamei do it once. UT is a natural. Ut could be someone running a multi-level marketing scheme and just being infectious because he was just like shouting around with it. He was very charming about it. He was something that like he knew that he had a that he had a part to play, and boy, did Ut play the role of KZ very, very. very it, it was very humorous to me, at least. Uh, the match itself. So, in the lead up to this, of course, this was the new strong machine the one that strong machine j started teasing at corkin in august upon his return and they are revealed as strong machine k and usually i like keeping a little bit of k with this but it's very clear and Jay and Ho <laughs> said it on commentary uh strong machine j is huge kondo and if you didn't have if him coming out and having like this huge tuft of colored hair coming out from underneath the mask and being a thick guy that wasn't the tell then the fact that he did the original and won the match with a king kong lariat in 10 minutes and 34 seconds should have made it very clear who it was and i it's something where when shuji kondo came back last july i was very excited because the idea of he's been a away for so long. There's all this new talent that he's going to have a chance to wrestle with. There's the old rivalries you could revisit and it's kind of clear, at least to me personally, that he's kind of slot in this spot that it makes sense why F and G are members of the Strong Machine Army and I think we could just slot in Kondo right there as well. Like He's, he's someone that has multiple businesses outside of the company and he's someone that I mean he's still Coming back from a partially torn Achilles tendon in his forties, so it it was nice to see how well he works. Like I mean, his wrestling style one would think would work really well as a strong machine, and you know, but just kind of plugged him in, and that was really kind of great. And it's something where Strong Machine Army and Strong Machine J is such a difficult thing to evaluate because, of course, he's doing his dad's old gimmick and part of the reason why this guy is here is because his dad but he's talented in his own right and it's something where it's difficult but i think that the mask is almost a disservice and his dad's gimmick's almost a disservice to him because he's always going to be strong machine super strong machine son and it did not seem like that this this time the strong machine army is as over with the crowd as it was in 2019 but the work was all there all of Natural Vibes, Natural Vibes team if if, if I didn't mention it was Susumi, Yokosuka, King, Shimizu, Ginki, Horiguchi they all worked well together this was all competent and good and fine just not really you know, Strong Army is just not really something that I can get super enthused about to be honest just been seeing them for so long at this point and it's just kind of I I know what it is and it's something that with the Hashi Brothers debuting in two weeks, I'm just sitting here going, alright this is going to be such a bizarre promotion if they're going to be like, alright, we have in in 2031, let's say in 10 years it's like, we have all of these second generation wrestlers that are making a reference to their parents' gimmicks and this, and then we also have this really dynamic roster of wrestlers trained in this specific style it's just I wonder how long it is or how far this can go and how tenable it is because it makes sense with Strong Machine J and it absolutely makes sense for the Ahashi brothers but it's something that like hey it's tough out there I mean that's part of the reason why there are these Amazon Prime shows right now it's tough out there running a promotion in 2021 in japan but i have to admit that there's a inkling or maybe like an itch in my head that i just can't finish scratching that i can't ignore that it's going a little overboard with these showa era characters and second generation wrestlers but we'll see i mean it's i don't want to put the cart head of the horse here and strong machine jay is a great wrestler and the Hashi brothers look like they both have something but it's just something that like if we're if it, if in 2023 there's like four more or like even like two or three more second generation wrestlers like that's okay you could put them in one unit but if it becomes a thing where that's a primary talent source don't think that's necessarily and it's not something that I personally am enthusiastic about in the post match of the strong machine army versus natural vibes. Since Strong Machine K scored a direct pinfall on King Shimizu, we have a twin gate challenge for Dangerous Gate. It is Shimizu and Yokosuka defending against Strong Machine K and Strong Machine J. Actually I'm pretty excited for this match. But that's also after me saying what I said for the last few minutes might be a little bit hypocritical, but I really enjoy Strong Machine J in the ring. Kondo has always been someone that I thoroughly enjoyed. And you have like a good mirrored pair with Shimizu for Kondo and Yokosuka for J. Like, this is something that, at least on paper, as of today, as a time recording, this is my potential match of the night. And I think that by a good margin, this could be. The best thing on Dangerous Gate. Up, uh, so my main event is a trios match: Masquerade versus Red. It was Shin Skywalker, Dragon Dia, and La Estrella versus Eta Diamante and in Dia Inferno. Dia Inferno got disqualified in ten minutes and fifty-two seconds because he just did the damnedest low kick I've seen in my life. Like he kicked a field goal and twice one on dragon dia and then one on mr nakagawa like it was the roughest like rough like kicking a referee low i've ever seen it just he kicked it through the uprights there and this was not one of the better masquerade versus rd matches to me there was a lot of just general dia and Australia doing awesome things in this match, and we had good face-offs between Shun Skywalker and Diamante, but I mean, this was a match that very clearly was trying to serve a lot of masters, because you have the fact that Diamante wants to be the only masked wrestler in Dragon Gate, so he was going right after Shun Skywalker, and then you have, of course, the simmering feud between Inferno and Dia. Uh, R.E.D. came out with all the Triangle Gate belts that they stole, so... They had a lot of stuff they were trying to accomplish in this ten minute match, and and they did so. But it's something that that clearly was at the forefront, and that kind of put everything else towards the back, including the ring work. But Daya, he has been doing more vaults and springing off of people over the last few weeks, and it's been absolutely nuts. He did what he did his vaulting to Harris, and then did a thing where he was flipping over the ropes and then Shin Skywalker basically like deadlifted him using his shoulders, like squatted him up, sending him back for another to Harris. very similar to the private party set up to silly string. If you watch AEW, then Estrella did not just get sent through the bottom ropes. Like we've talked about before he hit the floor. He was wearing a rash guard, on his chest so he kept on sliding he slid underneath the blue barricade into the first row damn this thing dude is just really enjoying throwing his body around and I have to say I'm a big fan of it I big fan of little guys deciding to bump like crazy and that's what he was really doing here and I of the like the simmering storylines the uh, Face off that I really enjoyed most in this match was Shun versus Diamante. I think that it's a lot of fun to have someone who's a little bit bigger so that Shun can do some more flying and lucha stuff. I mean, it's something that it's kind of remarkable that during his entire Dreamgate run and his return from Mexico, he's not really done any flying whatsoever. It seems like we are far away from the point of where he was in 2018, where he was very much a crash-and-burn high-flyer. But it was really cool. Like, those two were able to work with each other, allows Shun to do some more uh, more acrobatic... Maybe that's not the right word for it. More... I'm just blanking right now. He's able to show more of his moveset, is basically it. And... Diamante, there was this really nice tease where Diamante was going for the vuelta finale, and then while Shin Skywalker was up on his shoulders, he tried to convert it into a Frankenstein.er and Then he got him back up again. It's something where like they could probably have a awesome King of Gate match, like a fifteen minute just powering Haas moves and combining that with like lucha libre, and I think that could be a whole lot of fun. I went three and a half on it. It was something that. In the greater scheme of things, that's perfectly fine. But in this feud, and if we were still making our mixed DVD, this match would be left off it, or we would just clip out all the crazy bumps that Estrella took and all of Daya's high-flying. And in the post-match after the DQ, they did the thing that they did before where they stacked up all of Masquerade. They stacked up uh, Mr. Nak- Mr. Nakagawa on top of them an red post with the triangle gate belt so solid match obviously it was a just a prep and building up hype for the triangle gate match there at dangerous gate and just kind of it was something where like the, i would say that the ring work although very good was not a central point of this match so they didn't so just, you just take away the feud stuff you take away the crazy bumps and the flying the main event of Korkin, of course was the Open the Dream Gate number 1 contender four way match In this match eliminations can happen over the top rope it was Masaki Mochizuki versus Binke versus Kai versus Kota Minora The three eliminations were Binke eliminating Kai over the top rope in 7 minutes and 53 seconds Kota Minora eliminating Mochizuki in 9 minutes and 12 seconds also over the top rope and then Kota submitting Binke with the Ingranaje in 15 minutes and 2 seconds. And the first part of this match did nothing for me. It just felt like they were kind of playing up everything. It was kind of stalling time. Like the, when the 5 minute call happened, I was like, oh, okay. We are just doing this, I guess. And it, kicked, it really picked up when uh, Kai got eliminated. He basically got potato sacked and then... Uh, Benkei just ran into him when he was on the apron, and he flew off the apron. Mochizuki had more of a typical, I would say, uh, Battle Royal elimination. And then we had six minutes of a really strong portion of a Minora and Benkei match. And the crowd popped really big for the final two, which kind of surprised me a little bit with how endearing of a presence misaki mochizuki was they were into the idea of Koda minora versus Benkei, and the two of them were great like they really played up the idea that Koda minora could not throw around Benkei as much as he would like but on the same the, the same side or i'm sorry on the same coin but on the different side of it this is why i need case here because then i don't have to use these bad analogies but uh the two sides of the coin were that Koda Minora couldn't really throw Benkei around, but also Benkei's spear was just not going to work on Koda Minora. Koda Minora blocked it and then ate one spear and was able to kick out of it. It just was, he was too powerful. He knew how to get his arms up for it to kind of take the brunt of it so it doesn't hit him in the midsection. And there was a really neat, like, visual pinfall where or what would have been a pinfall where after all of this, like, Kota Menor is exhausted. He's already had one match tonight, and now he's in the deep end trying to get his first ever Dream Gate shot. And he was so exhausted, he hit the gong. And he was not able for, like, a good four seconds to go roll over and pen Bin and was the long two count. I thought that was super effective. And then they really played up, like, the ways that Bin was trying to go for the bang. With, for the Benkei bomb or trying to go for just general power moves but then Code Minora was able to hook an arm, drag him down and lock in versions of the Ingranaje until finally getting it on tight and after a good bit, Benkei submitted and Code Minora finally gets what Case and I have been calling for since King of Gate and since Kobe World. We get a Dreamgate Shot it is at Oda City Gymnasium Yamato versus Kota Minenora, and it was a pretty effective way of doing it. It just was incredibly convoluted to like people who like follow the product would be like, Oh, yeah, no, Kota Minenora is the hottest person in the company. He defeated Yamato twice, he was in the finals of the uh, of King of Kate. he defeated Ata at Kobe World. Like, there was more than enough rationale. To have him just be like oh I have a win over you and I've defeated other champions I should have a, the shot but we had to have kind of a convoluted and somewhat deflating way of getting to a point I don't think that this is going to leave a permanent sour note in my mouth from this or this match is just something that just made problems for themselves when they really did not need to and that was it for the Corkin. it will be up on the network until the 15th with English commentary by Jay and Ho Ho Loon and before we get out of here on this abbreviated open the voice gate just running down the schedule for the remainder of the month we have Oda uh, we have Oda City Gymnasium on the 20th for Dangerous Gate but before that on Saturday on September 11th Dragon Gate returns to Edeon Arena Sokka number 2 the main event of the show, of course, is the decision match for the Open the Bravegate Gate title between SB Kento and Keisuke Akuda. I could see, see someone stepping out immediately after and making the challenge. Well, they would have to unless there's not going to be one. So I expect someone to come out right after that match to get a Brave Gate shot. So we have the whole title slate ahead of us. And then the last televised show for the month is... On the 23rd at Kobe Sambo Hall. So, pretty quiet month on the network. I think that things really pick up in October, but I mean, this is kind of just the tried and true monthly stops for Dragon Gate this month. And, you know, after this, it's full steam to Gate of Destiny and Gate of Origin and closing out the year. So, that's going to do it for this week's abbreviated Open the Voice Gate. Thank you all for understanding and thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Case is an underscore in your case. He should have his thoughts of this Corkin up on voicesofwrestling.com within the next few days. And you can follow me at Fujiheya. But that's going to do it for Open the Voice Gate. Take care, everyone.